You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging. The use of antibodies is something that has caught my attention recently, um, partially because of, of your uh, steps in, in developing it for the coronavirus, but also I mentioned earlier I finished reading that book, Deadliest Enemy. Uh, I believe the guy was uh, Michael. Osterholm, I can't remember for sure. Yep. One of the things he talks about in it is uh, antibiotic resistance. And, and since you grew up in Guatemala, you're familiar with uh, access to health care. And, you know, most developing countries have antibiotics available over the counter, which contributes to resistance. But at the same time, we can't exactly ask them to pull that and, and, and uh, possibly endanger the, their, their citizens in those countries. And, and even if the U.S. fixes our problems that we do to contribute to, to resistance, it's still far less than half the problem. And so it's predicted that antibiotic resistance uh, will will build to a point where the antibiotic error will end by about 2050. And that being the case, it, he, the chapter he, he covers this on is very interesting. He said uh, that infectious diseases could once again be the leading cause of death. It could surpass heart disease and cancer. Any surgery will become inherently dangerous. Uh, it would have virtually eliminate elective surgeries, including in vitro ver- fertilization. Cesarean delivery would be far more risky. Cancer chemotherapy would take a giant step backwards. And neonatal and, and intensive care would be far more complicated. Rheumatic fever would have lifelong consequences, and TB could be back in business. So all surgeries would have a very complex risk versus benefit analysis. Do you think that antibodies could help um, bridge that gap to the point where that would be the future of medicine in the post-antibiotic era. Yeah. So everything he says is true if we don't do anything about this. But the good news is this is where I'm an optimist. So I actually see a pretty rosy future, and I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, you know, back when I was working at Pfizer, because I was there from 2008 to 2012, uh, I watched uh, the challenge that Pfizer had a couple programs for uh, anti-infectives. Um, some small molecule work, and then also some antibody work. And the challenge that Pfizer faced is that, is this, that if you create a really effective new antibiotic or antiviral, uh, and and particularly antibiotics, it's a problem is that that the, uh, the doctors don't want to use it because they immediately want to save it for a last resort because they're like, Oh good. We actually have a new one. Let's not use that one. Which means that there's an incredibly little market incentive to make new antibiotics. I, I have no doubt that our chemists could discover new ones, but the problem is that there are the way our economic structures are built for making medicine is that no one's going to want to go do that. That needs to be national. Exactly. You want to do it. The, the other part with respect to antibodies you brought up is uh, definitely the case. So it, it's cheaper to make uh, small molecules, that's for sure. But antibodies, the reason they're so popular is that they're really fast. It's their nature's drug of choice. They've been elected by evolutionary forces for the last you know, 600 million years. Uh, and no jawed vertebrate has ever stopped using antibodies. So these things are super effective. They, they cost more per dose. So right now it costs about $100 for a gram of antibody. And that's you know obviously really different than uh, an antibiotic. But that, those numbers could also get reduced. So I know the Gates Foundation is interested in looking into, like I am, looking into like bacterial expression or in particular yeast it could be a really cheap way to produce biologics, uh, much cheaper than they're being produced now. And I do think the advantage of antibodies is that you can, you can engineer them super fast. 
that's the reason I've got an antibody and other groups have antibodies against the novel pandemic, but you don't hear about people engineering new small molecules against the novel pandemic. It's just that antibodies are just a faster way to produce a medicine. And that could be really useful. They're also really easy to modify. As I showed, I was able to modify antibodies against SARS really easily to hit the novel coronavirus. And so you could address escape mutants much easier using antibodies than small molecules where they're just tiny. They have fundamentally less what chemists call R groups. And so there's less ways to vary them to overcome changes, corresponding changes on the, the pathogen. Where an antibody has, you know, 45 plus chiral centers at the peritope and the, the epitope interface. And so you have a lot more sort of real estate to change things. Um, so I think that will help. That said, this is again where I think uh, vaccines become very powerful. So vaccines have the distinction, unlike antivirals and, and uh, uh, you know antibiotics, that vaccines can eradicate the diseases that they're designed to treat, uh, where that has not historically been the case for, for small molecule drugs. And, and the reason for that distinction is that when you give someone a small molecule drug, you're giving them a single compound, which provides an immense reward for the pathogen and the population of the versions of the pathogen in that person or across a population to identify an escape mutant, because that escape mutant suddenly protects it from that drug, and that drug takes time to make a new one, and so that version of the pathogen will flourish. That's the underlying problem with, with antibiotic resistance. Uh, whereas with a vaccine, if you can make a vaccine that successfully you know, creates a nice little ringed fence of antibodies around your pathogen and blocks the toxins and trigger, you know, targets it for destruction, that is really hard for the pathogen to escape because your body produces around 100 antibodies uh, at least for flu shots, that's what we know. It's about 100. For other pathogen exposures, I don't know. But let's say it's 100. Uh, that's like a multi-drug cocktail. So for like HIV, they give you multiple different drugs. And the idea is that the pathogen might be able to escape one of the components of the cocktail, but it's still going to be vulnerable to the other few components. And so therefore, it sort of triangulates uh, and traps the, the pathogen. Well, a vaccine does that in a remarkable fashion. It creates 100 different versions of antibodies against the target, and even identical twins are creating different antibodies. So it's almost an impossible landscape of opposition that is being faced by the pathogen, which is why vaccines are able to render their targets extinct if we distribute the vaccine enough throughout populations and if the pathogen is susceptible to the, the appropriate type of vaccine. So in my world of what I'd like to see happening, I actually think that we are living in the golden age of biotechnology. We've gotten better than ever at producing remarkable medicines and like broad spectrum vaccines, like what we've been working on. And this is the Holy grail that other companies have been working on too. I think we're going to get it. And if we don't, somebody else will, but we're going to come up with vaccines that can kind of step past the remarkable successes of vaccine science and vaccines have been amazing. They are like the greatest medical advance in sanitation and fire, but they got made by rapidly mutating pathogens or complex pathogens that have sort of many different, evasion strategies like like bacteria. Uh, but I think we're going to take a handle on that. And that new wave of vac vaccines is going to create a largely post-pathogen humanity. I think you need both, just like with the novel coronavirus, you need a vaccine for prevention of healthy people. But because not everyone's going to take a vaccine, not everyone can afford it, and it won't work in everyone who receives it, like you mentioned earlier, the immunocompromised and the elderly, uh, for those, those groups of people that haven't received it or it's not working, you also need a therapy. You need something to give people because by the time they're at a hospital, a vaccine takes 48 weeks to kick in. So you can't give a vaccine to someone who's already sick. You need to give them a therapy. And antibodies are a really powerful way for us to create effective therapies 
uh, I think we've gotten, as, as this coronavirus has showed, the community has gotten really good at producing antibodies really quickly. I think what we need to solve next are financial models to enable the medicines to be produced at a closer to cost of goods to make them practical as routine antibiotics and antivirals. So I agree. It's like the the golden age of uh, biomedicine. And there's a lot of very exciting, very cool things going on. Um, And I'm very intrigued to see uh, where we go from here and and, and to see if we can maybe slow that antibiotic resistance and, uh, you know, hopefully just avoid that that era of the post-antibiotic era altogether. I think that would be ideal. Yeah. Well, I think think my optimistic view of the future is that our grandchildren are going to look back at the era that we've taken for granted and they're going to see it as, you know, as outdated as, as the bubonic plague that we really shouldn't be having routine exposure to. There's a bunch of these bacterial pathogens and like things like the flu that we take for granted. And it's horseshit. We shouldn't have to put up with that in modern society. There's, I mean, in the village I grew up in, I can't tell you how many times I had amoebas and giardia and uh, worms. And these are like very treatable, very avoidable diseases as long as you have the medicine and it's and i just you know people take it for granted because that's what they lived in and i think that's in the larger macro scale of where human society is right now we put up with flu because we've grown accustomed to it but we shouldn't we should get rid of it forever and we have tools really at our disposal to accomplish that and we should do what they've done with the guinea worm right there's been remarkable advances with the gates foundation and other dedicated efforts and i think we now have better tools than we had before and we should be willing to go apply those with vigor I hope that's one of the positive things that comes out of this coronavirus crisis is an attention on these technologies and an infusion of uh, a realization that, you know, we could basically vaccinate the earth and kind of like rid ourselves from some of these pathogens and to create a, a humanity that's spending less time trying to spend its money and resources fixing itself and more time on, on creative things, making better and beautiful, beautiful new ideas come to come to life. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't know if uh, your facility does a lot of tours and whatnot, but someday when this pandemic's all clear, I'd love to, to come out and, and uh, tour your facility and see what you guys are all about. Let's do it. That sounds great. Yes, please let him. Um, that would be great. <laughs> he was not, um, you know, like boosting your ego when he said he was so excited after pandemic, like after he um, watched that on Netflix, he texted all of us and emailed us like, we have to have him on the show. Oh, thanks guys. So excited to find you. And um, he was totally right. Just having you on today's show was very great and you shared a lot of knowledge. So thank you so much for, for coming on and just, um, sharing some of the things that you're doing with the coronavirus and your studies with the influenza. Sure. No, thanks for having me on. I like, honestly, the, the questions were outstanding. So was, this is fun. I think I normally don't get to geek out like this on the, <laughs> it's the weeds. You know, I live for the weeds. Right. So I think the details on population heterogeneity and molecular interfaces and stuff like that's where our technologies are born from is realizations of the true nature of molecular interactions across polymorphic landscapes. And so it's cool to be able to talk about that stuff. I'll say the other if I can just take one more minute of your time, the last thing I've been geeking out a lot recently, and I think it's important is it's, it's actually not the science itself. It's the other reasons why, why we haven't solved these problems yet. And they're, they're actually largely economic and they're corporate. And I think they're worth thinking about right now. I touched upon them a little bit earlier, but yeah, you know, back some of the lessons from Ebola that we should have in our minds right now in the, the coronavirus is like what worked and what didn't with Ebola and making treatments. 
So uh, one thing that we learned is that antibodies turned out to be the most effective medicine. We learned that it took a while, a couple outbreaks for us to get there. We learned that it was not equal. The antibodies were not equal. There are three different companies that produced like ZMAP, there was an NIH antibody, and then Regeneron. And the Regeneron antibodies were the third to, third to reach the patients, but they proved out to be the most effective. Uh, and so that, that tells you that a best-in-class is important, that early antibodies might get there fast, but they might be sort of a proof of concept. But even then, the Regeneron antibody, they had to give 150 mgs per keg. And that's like, that's a, you know, that's a, it's like a roll of toothpaste. It's like way too much antibody for it to be practical or, or really feasible. It's very, the cost of goods gets very expensive. You're talking about, you know, $1,000 just in cost of goods, which means you can't, you can't drug Africa or developing nations with a, with a medicine that costs that much for cost of goods. Um, and the, the last challenge was just reaching, making the medicine could actually get there. So ZMAP proved the principle, but they had a drug that was very unstable. It was difficult to manufacture and ship without crashing out a solution. And you add all those things up, and, it, and I think for the current coronavirus crisis and then large scale for treating the earth, I think we have this fundamental problem that we need to not just make medicines successfully, but we need to make them accessible. And that, that means being able to produce enough of them, which I think is a problem that we're not thinking about enough, that there's you know almost 8 billion people on the planet, and we need to be able to make enough medicine for all of them. And we, that capacity does not exist. And the more I look at it, the more it freaks me out. What a problem we're about to run into. Uh, with respect to the coronavirus. But the second one is cost. So Gilead, right. Gilead's an example of this, where their CEO in March said, we're not going to make any money about uh, off of this. But then they just released that their remdesivir, it's somewhat helpful. So remdesivir slows the, pro the replication of the virus. Uh, it, uh, I think it lowers you from a 15-day hospital stay down to around 11. So it's not a cure, but it helps. I, I would take it. But they're charging $3,120 per patient, which is... A really high number. Uh, that's I can't give. I can't go and like give that to people in Santiago Atitlan where I grew up, and most of the world can't can't use that. And and the reason he I, I, he may have believed what he said in March, but the reason he got stuck is that corporations have fiduciary duty, which is fancy speak for saying that they have an obligation to their shareholders, a legal obligation to charge a lot for their medicines. And you know, antibodies cost a hundred dollars a dose or to produce, but they get they typically charge patients eight thousand dollars a dose. And all of that corporate profit is based on ruthless calculations where people could get in legal trouble if they didn't charge a lot. At least that's that's the shield that people hide behind when they don't charge less. They're like, Well, I have a fiduciary duty to charge a lot. But that is a big problem for the world because if we don't have a medicine that's cheap and it's globally affordable, then not everyone's going to be using it, which case we're just going to be continuously stuck with everyone infecting each other over and over again. So I think what is essential right now is that someone is able to articulate and manifest like a Ford model where someone's charging a percentage over cost of goods and that they're legally shielded and enabled, first off, that they want to do it. And second, that they're not going to be in trouble for doing it. They can articulate that they could produce larger number of doses and charge less per dose. And then that way, more of the world will actually receive the medicine. This is something that is actually our current corporate structures are not well um, structured to accomplish. This is partially because of the fiduciary duty and partially like Gilead, for instance, produced a remarkable medicine for hepatitis C. There was a, it's curative. And like over 90% of people who receive these pills, they're able to actually wipe out hep C in their body, which is amazing. Like I, I, my hat is off to the scientists. And yet two things that happened that annoyed me. One is that they charge $80,000 for a series of these pills for a patient. Yeah. And again, it costs like a, a dollar probably to produce the medicine. So that's all corporate profit. And second, 
their stock started going down. They took a hit. And there's a whole article about this because their drug was so effective, it was actually potentially shrinking the market of people who would take it year after year. And so therefore, it actually hurt them economically to produce a, a truly effective medicine. And those are things that lead me to believe that we need corporations with uh, unique shielding or we need nationalized production of medicines to treat certain areas because there's a lot, a lot of great medicine that's been produced through venture capital and the pharmaceutical industry has cured a lot of things, but there, it's just not well positioned to cure areas that you need to be able to, to mass produce a medicine without a huge overhead of cost and be willing to ex like eradicate your own market on purpose. And I, I think these things worry me. I think there are solutions to them. But we need a solution right now in this current crisis, because if each company is stuck charging a bunch, we're actually not going to be able to kind of treat the world. And then as a collective goods problem, we're all not going to be able to go back to work and hug our grandmothers again. And that's a problem. And then once this is over, that problem still remains. And it remains for a bunch of these things that you were just talking about, the things where generics exist, but we need a better medicine. It needs to go out there and be able to you know, pay, I don't know, make 50% above cost of goods. Like that, that is a business model. That's better than a restaurant. But it's uh, it's running up against the abnormal market forces and fiduciary duties of the pharmaceutical industry, and so this is something we need to do some soul searching on. And I think the right, right now is the time to do it. I I'm really glad you brought that up because I did see that you posted this on Twitter, um, and but there was so many things that I wanted to talk to you about. It kind of got lost in the shuffle, but uh, I I couldn't agree more. It's it's a huge problem, and that's uh, something that needs to be addressed and needs to be. Uh, uh, resolved to, to, to make medicine more available to those who actually need it yeah. to everyone, not just the, the select few. And look, I'm, I'm a, you know, I run a business. I, I actually don't think it's a good idea to try to sell. I I, I want to be able to give away my money, like in developing world, the Chavi nations and stuff. Yes, I can um, give away at cost, but there's a lot of the world that can pay for things. I think you just don't need to pay, charge a ridiculous price. I think that's the part where I differ. Yeah, and I think I, I I prefer to make some money because then I'm not dependent on grants. Like trying to live off of grants is a horrible way to run a business. It's ridiculous. It just takes too long and you're too vulnerable to other people's opinions over what's important. I think if you make a working medicine and you can sell it at a, you know, a modest uh, gain over cost of goods, and that's enough to keep your engines of war going and you can innovate and build new things. I think that's a really effective model. And you just need to be able to do that, especially for large scale distribution. Like people in Santiago can definitely pay for medicine. Like it's, I find it actually kind of insulting that people talk about neglected tropical disease as diseases that no one will pay for. It's like, that's not true. It's just that people can't pay ridiculous prices for, for medicine. Yeah. If you can target that market, you may not get as much money. And then venture capitalists might say, look, I can't give you my money for this because I could make more money funding a, a, a cancer company very well. But I think there's other ways to, to create that company. And once you've created it, that, that company can do better than a restaurant. It can be an effective business and it could probably do a lot of good. And we frankly need those kinds of business models out there to manifest the things we were talking about. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you again for coming to geek out with us. Uh, you, can, you can geek out with us anytime. I love this stuff. So. Right on. Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'd be like, uh, happy to, to talk more. And obviously let me know when... Uh, when this is up online, I'm sure a bunch of my friends would like to check it out. Absolutely. Will do. Thanks for coming on the show today. Cheers.